Welcome back to part two of the Hennessy Files podcast, proudly presented by Aloha Surf Manly. Now, have you ever thought about taking your talents into other arenas? I've thought about that. And the only sport I think about quite a bit is baseball, just because I grew up playing baseball. And so I understand that game really well. I loved it. I thought I was going to be pro one day, but I, I moved on because I found surfing. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I, always, I watched a lot of games. I watched a lot of basketball games, but I think uh, the tempo of baseball and, you know, it's America's favorite pastime. There's just something about going to the ballpark in the day and the crack of the bat. You know, I still love playing catch these days. So I'm like, that one just kind of, I don't know, stands out to me as like, maybe I could try that. Maybe at like a minor league level, you know, it'd be really fun to give it a shot. Oh, you definitely have the talent to, to take it. We don't want to lose you, but <laughs> Oh no, surfing's always my heart. But yeah. <laughs> now, Talking about being on the mic and being comfortable on the mic, you as a presenter, uh, you've got a massive role to play when it comes to like the winner's podium and maybe the, the balls and everything. You are at the forefront of professional surfing when it comes to commentating. How comfortable are you in that role? And do you ever get worried and suffer anxiety with it? Yes, I do. Yeah, and I have. Um, the interesting part of the booth commentary to beach, you know, they're all, they all these differences to it. And I realized in 2014, I had found this kind of safe place in the booth. You know, you don't see an audience. You can all of a sudden be with, you know, pots and whoever your color guy is and you're in this together and you kind of have this, which is great. You have this rad energy and there's just a camera on you get really used to that, but you're not, you still feel like the nerves of live TV in a good way. But I'll never forget when they hit me up in the final lowers and they were like, hey, Joe, you're going to do the presentation after. And I just, my heart dropped. I was like, presentation? I, I was that when TV won? What do you mean? That one was John John was on stage and Jordy, right? John John Jordy, yep, and Steph Sally. Uh, oh, you yep. know, that was the year that Jeremy got suspended at Tahiti. Oh, right. And he missed Tahiti, he right? Missed, oh, that's uh, he right. He got suspended from J-Bay yep. and missed Tahiti. Yeah. We were actually talking about that yesterday. That, and it pumped that year at, yeah. in Tahiti. Oh, that's right. Oh, that was crazy. That year was when they were like, oh, you're going to do the presentation. And I remember just going, oh, my gosh. I was like, man, I, I want to call heats. You know, I want to be on the post <laughs> show. I like the studio vibe. And I was walking to the presentation. My dad calls. And um, I had a little bit of time, like five minutes before I got to stage. And I'm like, yeah, hey, dad. And he's just like, hey, man, that was a good final. And I was like, oh, thanks. He's like, whoa, what's up with you? <laughs> you <know? laughs> and I was like, I got to do this presentation. And he was like, awesome. And I was like, I don't want to do it. He just knew I was nervous. He was like, I was just, you know, I was just like, ah, uh, nah, I just, I never wanted to do one, you know? And he's just like, you have to learn to love every part of your job. Wow. And it still sits with me today. And I remember I just was like, yep, I'm being a little brat right now. And I just said, thanks dad, you know, hung up. And I went through the nerves of looking at this huge crowd and everyone was smiling and, you know, obviously people are winning, so they're in a great mood. And uh, I all of a sudden was like, oh my gosh, that was actually the most rewarding part of my day. I was pushing myself into this place and then to crowds like in Rio or this one in France where I couldn't see the end of the people, I found so much value in learning to not only 
do the job but enjoy it now when the presentation comes i'm like oh here we go i get to interact with this crowd energy and and it sometimes has been the most rewarding part about like a long day uh, on the tools. So it was cool that, that, that little line of like, learn to love every part of your job. I truly think I've done that now. And those memories of being nervous and trying to push it away, I can, I can like entertain that feeling again when it happens and go, come on, dude, like, look at it. Let's, let's see how you can, you know, push yourself to be better at all aspects of your, of your job. It's weird you say that about the booth and then going onto the stage because I saw a photo, I did an interview with uh, Matty Banting and on his wall at home, Lenny has this massive photo of Matt when he won the first Oz Open. Remember when he won the juniors and the Opens, right? And there was literally 25,000 beach people on the beach at North Stain. I commentated that, right? And I was as comfortable as in that situation. Then last year, I remember them pulling me up and saying, Dimmy, you're going to do the uh, the presentation of the Pro Junior because you hadn't arrived, right? <laughs> and you weren't working the Pro Junior. And I literally had like 150 people in front of me and I felt sick. Yeah. Like I literally was like, how was I so comfortable? Like I was talking to myself on the beach commentary. Talking to these people all day, yeah, all week. Yeah, you know totally. what I mean? And there's... 150 people in front of me and I was losing it going oh I reckon I'm having an anxiety attack am I going to fall off the stage yeah no 100% and you're going it goes from this thing of they're looking that way and then all of a sudden they're looking at you and you're like hang on a second you could look back at the ocean talk amongst yourselves and yeah I I 100% know what you're feeling it's it's like a crazy and the how I got out of it was James Griffin came up on the stage and Griffo's a legend, right? He's such a good community guy. I just started ripping into him and everyone started laughing, right? And I went, oh, that sort of broke the ice, but it was a crazy feeling. Like, I'm like, what are you worried about? Like, these are people you know. Why why would you freak out at that but not at 25,000 people? Uh, watching the final because yeah. that's where I feel most comfortable when I'm doing what I'm paid to do and do what I'm comfortable with. Oh, totally. It's it's a crazy feeling when you've worked all day and you feel like you're already in your zone and your rhythm. You broke the even the morning warm up where you're you're already on, and then you feel like extra nerves. I remember there's a crowd in Brazil when Felipe beat Bede Durbage in the final, and Courtney I think won as well. And it was a crazy crowd. And back then, sometimes we'd have two people do the presentation. And I remember we like turned around the corner and we're just like, oh my goodness, it's packed, you know? And Rosie looked at me, she's like, Joey, what are we going to do? You know? And she's such a legend. And I just thought I was giving her advice that was helping me. So we've done the bungee jump in South Africa, the hang gliding off the thing in Rio. And when you get yourself to do something like that, for me, I just go... Not only am I going to do the bungee jump, but I'm going to enjoy it. Because I always go, you're doing it anyway. Don't pretend your shoe's falling off and don't pretend the rope's going to break. <laughs> you're going, I'm going in with 100% confidence and I get, we'll get to enjoy this bungee. And that's how I mentally prep for stuff like that, those stupid things we do. <laughs> and uh, so on the, the podium, I'm going, I'm channeling my, we're doing this. And it's going to be rad, you know? And I, I gave her a bungee jump example. And she's like, oh, the bungee jump is so scary. <laughs> I like, I made it worse. I was like, sorry. That's why I meant. I was trying to hand her my mental exercise. And she was like, oh, the bungee jump. I don't want to do that right now. <laughs> That's free. Has there ever been you know, a moment where you've stuffed up a mic, where you've had that horror moment where you're live and you've said something and right away you went, oh no, I've just blown that and had to keep had to keep a straight face and keep going. Have you ever had that moment? 
I've had ones where I've said a stat wrong and I've had to correct myself or yeah, kind of, kind of those ones. Yeah. Luckily I haven't had to anything where I'm just like, Oh gosh, what have I done? You know? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, usually sometimes I I'll misread a stat or even sometimes it's on your notes and you just read it backwards or something like that. Um, and then you can always, when I get a moment, I can correct it, you know, which is nice. Um, I've had some where it's sort of, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, you know, but sometimes you have producers that are working really hard and they'll give you information that's actually wrong. And, um, I remember one time I was at the, the Eddie in, you know, wow. Waimea Bay. And that was like a huge event that's a big deal for me as I was looked up to the whole story of Eddie and read his book and, I thought he was such a hero. And this was like a moment in time for me, you know, it's massive, but for the big picture of the broadcast, I don't know, I think everyone probably moved on, but this idea was like, we're coming off the break, slow motion shot, Danilo Coates is going over the falls. You, I want you to pump this up and come with me, you know? And then I was like, sweet, let's do this. And so I did this big pump up with this dramatic music. It's a bomb, it was gigantic that day. And the sing and it's it's hard big wave events the jerseys are far away, all of a sudden as I've already announced it's Danilo, and all of a sudden his face turns and I'm like fin I just finished my sentence and it was Nathan Fletcher, and it just just for that moment for me I was just like, oh man like I was so like my Bummed. wind just popped out of my sails and I was with Ross Williams, and when you work with someone that understands broadcast and those things, you know, you have someone who's going to be like, let's move on together, you know? So he, uh, he allowed me to go, yeah, yep. That was Nathan Fletcher, you know, <laughs> like, and just, but it's sort of this rhythm thing where in the moment you're so on and focused, you, for, for me, you're just going, move on, move on. And I remember later that night, I was just going, dang it. I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And it's only that for a second of the broadcast and you never want to, blame anyone in the truck because they work so hard it's yep. just those moments of they're doing a million things to make this an awesome show and you just have to wear it you're, you're never on air saying oh someone told me the wrong thing you know you're, you're you always own their mistakes as yeah. well as your own which is part of that job but sometimes it honestly yeah sometimes it doesn't feel good and you just got to move on you know <laughs> mate let's talk about the tour you've been a part of some of the biggest moments in the history of professional surfing in your eyes, what has been the three most dramatic things you have seen during your journey on the World Surf League? Wow. The, th the three big moments where you've gone, holy shit. Yeah. I mean, there we can start with the shark. That was mind-blowing. Were, uh, were you on that heat? Yeah, I was on that heat. Wow. And luckily enough, our booth was old school. where We had the desk in a different place, but our booth was still in the top of the tower at J-Bay. So we were on the third story. So I could see Mick the whole time, whereas on the broadcast, the wave went over him. That's right. And no you one could see, see him. him. But we were in the tower, and I was able to see that he was okay. And that was just the craziest feeling on the inside where you can't believe what you're witnessing, but you're on air. And you knew it was a shock. Uh, oh, yeah. I said a little splash, but I, I knew in, in that moment I was not going to call play-by-play -play of a shark attack. That was like... I'm not going to say shark. I'm not wow, going to call it. All I wanted to do was to be like, how is Mick doing? Okay. And is he okay? And for what I could see, 
as quickly as I could announce that he was okay, that was going to be good. And if I couldn't, then that was going to be another story. But as soon as I was able to notice that he was fine, that was my 100% job in that moment because I knew his mom was watching and 100%. the world. And uh, the beach was in hysterics. People are crying, like thinking their hero is going down. And, and when he had, didn't have a scratch, it was like a miracle. But yeah, that, that moment... I hope we'll never go through again, but it's a, it's a time that you never, I think can honestly prepare for until it happens, you know? And I think, um, were producers saying anything to in your earpiece? Well, they were going through the same thing as well. I think everyone was just looking going, is this really happening? It just was so bizarre. It was like, we already had had a commercial break. Julian had already taken the first wave. There was all these opportunities where it could have happened. It happened right when, the Mick Fanning bio was coming up where they're holding a still shot on him in that moment after we came from break. It was just the timing of it was crazy. And, uh, yeah, nowadays I think they would pull back and they would go to a wide shot and assess the situation because it's not something that would be covered, you know, like that. No one's going to watch someone get attacked by a shark. Yeah. Can you imagine how many people saw that that vision around the world it would be millions upon millions because that was not huge just for us it was huge just on a global scale yeah and i it was it's turned into this thing of where were you type moment you know like people come up to me oh i just woke up and then i heard mick got attacked and like i was here i was there and when we were flying back from south africa we were like layover in london and in the lounge of the airport lounge, there's like all the news stations are just showing the vision of this moment. And people are talking about it. You could tell like businessmen, like people have never seen the beach before are going, wow, this, I think someone got attacked by a shark. It was just so crazy kind of being around this energy on the way home. How crazy was it? I was just thinking then um, that at Narrabeen, there was a shark alarm that went off because there was a shark in the area one heat after Mick surfed. Yes. And the heat got put on hold. Yeah. That was the most... Someone actually texted me and went, hey, dude, there's just been a shark alarm. And I went, probably one of the boys just accidentally pressing up. No, they, there was a shark out there. No shit. Yeah, the timing of his heat. You're just going, are you kidding me? It was, And it was his first heat too. You're like, no, this isn't happening. Yeah, that was... That was too much. <laughs> All right, number two. What's been the the second most dramatic thing or, or the most thing that sticks out in your mind that you just went, wow. Uh, one that's really heavy was was when Andy passed. Yeah. That was wild. I hadn't done a lot of events at the time. This was 2010. I'd done a handful, but I was, I was still growing. And I remember how sad it was. Obviously, it was devastating. And I honestly, in my first reaction i was like there's no way we're finishing this event this is too heavy it was everyone was too sad and it was so heartbreaking that i was going when it was called back on which ended up being the best thing for everybody uh i was on first heat and i'm just going no i can't even talk right now i was just so broken and i'm sitting with shay lopez who had a really good relationship with andy one of his good friends and he had tears in his eyes and I, we, I started calling the first heat and for me, I, you know, I was lucky enough to meet Andy a few times, but for Shay, I was like, this is his mate, you know, this is like his, a brother, you know? And so I'm just going, start calling the heat. And we took our first break and Shay was just like, Hey, like, are, are we going there? You know, I was like, I'm following your lead, man. Cause I don't want to like force that on you. You know, if, 
if it's not something that you can handle right now. And he's like, I'm ready. Let's go. You know, and we just start, we came back and the rest of the day, we, that's all we spoke about. Every post interview is about Andy, about love, about being together. The surfing wasn't about, Oh yeah, I made this mistake. Every post interview that day, I remember was so like uplifting win or lose. It was about life and about how much respect they had for Andy and what he did for surfing. And I started feeling the tour having this first stage of healing process of understanding what had happened, but how lucky we all were to be together, to, to be able to grieve together. And it ended up being this good thing of running. Cause in the morning I was like, there's no way I can go on the mic. It's, it's going to be too heavy. The mood was so sad. And to feel the uplifting energy of the surfing was incredible. There's a heat with Taj, Taylor Knox and Dane Reynolds that I'll never forget because it was all of them. No one was worried about, you know, winning or losing, winning, losing, requalifying. If, you know, Dane was about just like surfing for Andy and it was like, he, he felt so comfortable surfing, not talking about himself too. And it was just this place of there was a bigger picture in life. And I feel like that's why we maybe moved away from rivalries for a bit because there the tour came together in probably the best way. I felt like that was the moment that uh, really galvanized our community as a whole globally. I, d- I just felt like, uh, yeah, the surfers are always tight, but you really got a sense of that family kind of feeling with the whole tour when Andy passed. Like, I didn't know Andy. I saw him a couple of times, and he was always such a nice guy to say hello to. Him and Bruce were always pretty cool, and Bruce is a different kind of cat. But, yeah, just the outpouring of grief globally it was just such a – like it was so sad. It was such a waste. Oh, it was such a hard, hard thing to understand, you know? And yeah, getting through those heats and, and even for, for years, it was just beginning, realizing sharing Andy's stories were the best healing, you know, part of it and remembering him and, and having to understand that he was gone, I think was the hardest part. And, but yeah, having to go into like a live situation you know i'm not sure about other sports how often they've dealt with like a game going and like someone passing away in the middle of it or in the series where they've got to keep going and it's not just a player it's a star player a world champion you know it was it was really heavy i think you get a, a really good idea of just how special uh andy irons was to everyone when people win at chopes yeah in the memory of Andy oh, Irons. Totally. You know what I mean? Like uh, talking to Jeremy about, you know, winning there and just that whole vibe. It's so special and it keeps that fire burning within everyone in our industry when it comes to remembering Andy and just who he was. Yeah, it was so cool when he won Tahiti because was, that was my first trip to Tahiti and I was like dragging all my bags uh, across the bridge waiting for a ride and he's pulling out with Luke Egan and Freddie Pataccia and all of a sudden, Andy just flies open the door. He's got one beer in his hand. And he's like, what are you doing? Jump in. Are you kidding me? Like, we'll give you a ride, you know? And it was just like the happiest memory, you know, of him just being like, what are you doing? Like, because he was always like, oh, you hang out with Aki all the time. Because I was always calling heats with Aki. And he was just so nice to me. And it was really cool that he just wanted me to cancel the ride across the bridge. Because he thought that was, that's not even fair. You, you got to drag it up. Jump in. We've got beers in here we're going to the airport yeah. <laughs> but i had already made a plan like a commitment across the bridge so to this day I, i'm like kicking myself i'm like i should have just bailed on that other ride and yeah. they would have figured it out your third most potent memory of our sport what would that be when maybe when it comes to a competitive side i think uh, there's a few i 
I'll never forget walking up the tower at the Pipe Masters and just walking to the top of that that venue. And that was one of those moments too where I was like, are you kidding me? And I still get that today. Like going to Pipe and calling the Pipe Masters is, I can't believe it. You know, it's, it's just such a dream. And, and to be at Pipe and that stage and the waves and the whole stories are insane. But also like a competitive moment that changed everything was you know back in tahiti where the waves are as good as they get and you know john florence kelly in the semi-final tiebreak decision but even before that you know kai otten jordy smith standing on the reef and there's toe sets still coming in and the guys on tour are not just out there but they're going for it and where you're just going like these guys on tour are the best surfers in the world period of what they go through and through code red and that that swell that jeremy had to surf the next morning on dark when everyone was trying to figure out if it was surfable and paddleable and he had that heat with michelle Perez. like those moments stand out to me where i you can't give our surfers on tour enough credit for how quickly they can just jump into an arena like that with everybody watching and just and just take the craziest waves in the world and uh, that, those moments stand out to me like more than more than anything. Funny you say that because I have a photo of Kai in that swell in a heat, and and I saw it actually on a poster, a Billabong poster in Bay Ritz, and I was like, wow, who's? And I looked closer. I went, that's Otto, right? And he's paddling over the oh. top of this first set, right? And he's looking back, right? And I said to him later, I said, talk us through that that moment. He said, mate, I was looking back at that first one. There was no way I was going to go it. And he said, when I turned back, he said the second one was even bigger, like way bigger. And he thought, I'm dead here. Like, oh. honestly, he said, I've been terrified in heats, like Fiji, where Rioni got absolutely pumped. And then Otto was in that heat where they stopped it afterwards. He said that was pretty terrifying, but you sort of pumped up, ready to go. He said, but that that entire heat, he scared the shit oh, out of him. That was so scary. I know the exact Do image you know the, in my head. Yeah. yeah. He's like looking down over it, just yeah. going, no way. I'm going, what are you looking at that going? I'm going, <laughs> he goes, he out of your mind. I'm crazy, but I'm not stupid. And Jordy was on the reef. He had already been smoked. And that was when Jordy said that was the scariest moment of his whole life. And it was in a heat. You know, it's great that you bring up that thing about, yeah, it is a rock star lifestyle, but the mental application of our athletes is incredible because most humans would not put themselves in that position. And these guys just throw themselves over the ledge. Yeah. I'm not sure if it translates, you know, I was talking to a professional quarterback in the NFL and he was talking about some of his hardest hits he's ever had, you know, like where it lights out, like a, someone just running at them in full speed. And then it was like, well, what about the diff? Would you want to take a set, you know, into Tahiti on the head? And he's like, yeah, I'd probably take that over getting hit again. I was like, actually, Not I don't chance. know if you understand, you know, <laughs> there's a lot more things that go, go into it. I, I think there's more about the timing <laughs> as well that you actually have to watch that set come at you right no for sure you know what i mean yeah i think that most like i've mates with a lot of footy players in australia and you look at what they go through their bodies and and we've been to a rugby league game and they just say it's sort of you know it's coming but you don't know it's coming it happens that quickly that it's just boom and you just get hammered right but surfers when they put themselves out there because it's so unique in the way that no two waves really break the same you just don't know what you're going to get 
Right. No, totally. And I think it's hard to compare it to anything else, even in action sports. You know, what snowboarders, skateboarders go through surfing, they're also unique, which makes it all cool. Okay. Before we wrap it up, I want to go through a couple of things. Since you've been involved in the sport, what has been the biggest changes that you've seen since you started commentating? Yeah, biggest changes would certainly be back in 2014 when we had new ownership and all of a sudden we had a team from snapper to pipeline and that was huge. Before, it was there was a lot of fun and cool parts about the job, but once we had a team that could say that they're commentators for the World Surf League at the championship tour level, you saw the whole group rise. You know, it was like before you know quick events billabong events you would just get a couple people here and there and there was personalities uh personality to those individual events but there was maybe a commentator would get maybe two events a year or whatever it was if would have depending on which brand they were getting hired by and in 2014 it was you got to see this whole team grow and begin as everyone was, you know, really good. And then you saw people just improve by the time pipeline happened. You're like, Oh my gosh, you're a different commentator. You're a different broadcaster. Like even the EVS operator was like doing it full time. So every aspect of the production was very consistent. Cameramen were, were being flown on flights. You'd see the same guys from every event and they're only going to get better. It's like going to the gym or getting more opportunities like even as an athlete, if you the more you do, you're, the more you're going to learn. So that was really impactful for me to feel. That was why I felt um, our whole team just get so, so strong. From the outside looking in, it looked like there was just a really strong stability about the tour and the way it looked. It looked real professional. Uh, like you said, prior to that, you'd have Ripka would have their own crew and Quickie would have their own crew. And while that was fun, I thought from other than surf fans really the outside world maybe thought oh, these guys aren't on that same kind of level of other sports where i think now based on what you're saying it's definitely at that level yeah no totally and it was a just seeing people grow in their roles and all of a sudden they had time to be like hey this is now my career that i'm beginning or i want to do this for a long time so everyone would start actually looking at how they could improve in their own craft whereas if you're only getting the call up once or twice in a season, you might not have time to really like put that much time into becoming a better broadcaster. So that was really cool to see. Where do you see the sport in the next five years? There's, you know, a lot of people talk about surfing. They talk about the performance levels and there's a lot of guys out there who love the traditional path of power surfing and are worried about we are moving away from that and moving more into those two new kind of elements to the judging criteria, which is innovation and progression. Where do you think we're going with our sport and where do you think it will be in five years? I think it's it's a really hot topic now coming off these two venues at Merriweather and Narrabeen. Uh, but I think all we have to do is wait till the next stop, Margaret River. We're going to see power surfing from John, John, Michelle. You know, it's going to be really fun to have these guys on more of a wall. I think everyone's looking forward to that. So I think the overwhelming amount of progression being rewarded is just based on the short waves that we had, you know, at Merriweather and at, at, uh, Narrabeen, because that just promoted that high performance progression, which I, by the way, like love, and it's always going to be a huge part of surfing. I think we'll see the balance just as the venue changes. And thing is, think about if we had like a East, Northeast swell at Narrabeen, you know, and the left was world class. 
Exactly. Yeah, yeah. we would have saw, seen a really healthy balance of, of a lot of power surfing winning. And I mean, in saying that, Connor made the final just sticking to big power turns. So I feel like the balance is there. I think uh, the takeaway is, you know, can you do one air to keep winning heats all the time? And I think it just is totally based on the venue and the heat situation, you know? So. You know, I know J-Bay's not on this year, but you can't win doing that at J-Bay. You know, certain waves just demand more time. Can't win and, a pipe and, and chokes. And even lowers. You know, it's always called the skate park. And yeah. then I'm going, wait, the people that win, you know, Parco's made finals there and won without, you know, lifting off on one wave. And you look at Mick Fanning, how dead deadly he's, he's at lowers where power surfing always is Richie one love worthy Richie love it you know Gabe Kling at the QS level just power surfing Chris Davidson did well there he didn't do one air you know it's sort of like I think uh, I think it is balanced it's just situational where if you do have a great set of skills above the lip you can get out of jail in a lot of situations if the waves are bad so what do you like most about the Australian surf culture? Why do you think it's a little bit different to other countries around the world? What stands out for you now that you've come here a lot? Yeah, other than you guys are just a pack of legends. It's just uh, board riders club culture is huge. We don't have that at home. And I feel the pride and sense of beach. You have people who are proud of their beach, but it takes it to another level when there's this amazing board riders club that you grow up in your local beach becomes a part of your last name. Uh, you're welcoming. Uh, you want people to have a good time. That's what I always feel. I'll never forget one time I, I did a trip from Burley Heads to here, uh, to Manly. It was the first Oz Open that we were just talking about. Billabong gave me this truck or a ute, and I was on the wrong side of the road and driving <laughs> stick, and I couldn't get it in gear in the parking lot billabong they're looking through the windows just having the best laugh and i'm like just get it going dude but i was realizing everything was opposite i was trying to start it in like third or something and i finally got out of there but what i noticed was i didn't have an iphone i had two weeks to get this car all the way down to, to manly anywhere i stopped i was welcomed and anywhere I was going surfing. People were just going, no way, you know, like, where are you from? Or we're watching the tour. And it was just really welcoming. And I, I loved be, I was completely by myself. And it was one of the coolest trips I've ever taken because I could do whatever I wanted. So someone's like, hey, there's a good sandbar over here at a certain spot in the Foster area. And I'd be like, I'm coming. Cool. And I would just drop everything and go. And I just felt like I was looked after even without asking. And it was a really comfortable feeling. And, and then getting down to the event too, it was, uh, the energy is, is really special. And the pride uh, people have in their surfing, their beaches and making sure people have a good time is my biggest takeaway. Do you think it would work in the States and Hawaii if they sort of came up with that? Because I think it's pretty unique and it's been going that long. I, I don't know if it would work over there. I think they're, they're trying to have little board riders battles and okay. getting it it's like it's in the in the in the infant stages now um and they're trying to base it off of what you guys have been doing for years so there's a little bit of that uh learning curve that they're going through to establish who's on the team how does it work and i think you guys have the events where no matter what age you are you have a place where you can compete and, and surf and i think that is something that all the beaches are trying to get to but i think they'll get there and we, uh, we've got a good map to follow from what you guys have done in the past. So, Okay, so right now we have six events left on tour. Take your commentator's hat off and, <laughs> and put your surf fan hat on. 
Who do you really think are going to be fighting out the world titles in both the men's and women's, based on what you've seen already and based on the venues that you are going to go to? Yeah, I mean, let's just put Medina straight in there. He's never had this great of a start before, so his surfing's brilliant. No one's been able to touch him at the surf ranch. That's still coming. And uh, obviously Tahiti, he's one of the best ever there. So I think that you can just 100% guarantee uh italo will be there he's too dangerous he's been insane and he doesn't have kind of that crazy lowers background he's a little younger and he, he never had like a finals day appearance there so there's something kind of fun about going wait italo still new of like we haven't seen a million lowers waves of italo which i'm really stoked on and we've seen a ton of medina and he's won there at the qs level um I feel like John Florence is about to come back. I, he might be ready to sweep the West. You know, I don't know who's going to contest him at Margaret River. I think he's that far ahead of everyone, especially if he's at main break. And I'm waiting for Felipe to fire. I feel like for Toledo... He's I, been quiet, I reckon. And, and it's in saying that, he did have the semifinal, but he did have a batter's all at pipe. He had that really rough heat at Narrabeen. He's surfing well, but... For his, for points, not for how good he is, but just for the point system, I think it was a missed opportunity that he didn't win something in the East Coast. Yeah. I, I, he, it was almost like these events, you're going, oh, Toledo country. Like he had to be leaving here with a win. So I just, that's going to affect that top, that final five story for him where it's, it's going to be questionable on outside of the world champs, Medina, Italo, John. Now it's like, it's a real big question of like it's, predictions. Like, is it? I Jordy? can't work it out. It, it's really hard, and no matter how much long I sit with it, because I have, yeah. <laughs> you're going. How are we getting those last two spots? Same on the women's side. Tyler, Steph, Carissa, and then how do you fill those last two? Right now, it feels like Caroline after after 100%. winning. Lakey's back's hurt, so she might be out of it. And I reckon the one to watch is Isabella. Yeah, geez, Even that was I'm beautiful. Corner, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but I just feel like the waves that are coming. Uh, will suit her surfing. Right. I, I, I think... So for me, for her, yeah. I'm not sure because I haven't seen you, a, a ton of her yet. So yeah, yeah that'll I, be... I'd, I'd be excited to see her do well again. I, I was trying to think on the men's side, trying to pick someone who could just somehow, if they could get to there, that top five, would make a difference at Trestles. Who would that be for you? For me, it would be Geordie. Yeah, oh, Jordy's insane at lowers. People might go, yeah, but he's traditionally in the top five anyway. But when you look at the venues we're going to, yeah. they don't really, not a lot of them are traditionally suited to Jordy's power. Well, that's what's interesting for Jordy's year. He's more prepared mentally, physically than ever. You know, yeah. he's traveling with his family, so he's learning about sleeping and weird times of the day. But he uh, he doesn't have the bells. He doesn't have the J-Bay you know, and he's even great in beach breaks in Brazil. So we'll see what happens on the wedge in Sakurama, uh later on in August. But uh, what's yeah. happening with Andina? A high Why? ankle sprain. Is he going to be back for any of the Australian league? I no, he's he's out of the wow. Australian league. I almost feel, and this is this is not what he said, but I'm thinking what it feels like since he's a part of the Olympic team is. The focus Just is get your ankle ready so you do not miss the Olympics this summer. I think that that is probably the main goal. Now that you're missing four events, maybe he's got to go, okay, that's now pretty tough to make the final five. 
let's just make sure that I'm ready for Tokyo. You know, that's what I would guess that he's going through right now. Last question is on Tokyo. Knowing where it is at and knowing the surfers like you do, how hard is the Brazilian storm going to be to stop? The, I can only, honestly, if I was being brutally honest, the only person that I would throw in there as a as a smoky would be someone like Kanoa. Right. Yeah, no, that's a great call. Kanoa is insane with small waves, uh, with the, the whole country behind him in Japan to Willem to Gold. I think he'll thrive off that. You know, he's won back-to-back U.S. Open titles with a lot of energy behind him, but he'll even have 20 times that in the Olympics. I like that call. I think Kanoa's with him, Italo, you know, Medina, like... <laughs> I don't know how you'll beat those guys in small waves. It's it's pretty amazing what they can do. And what about on the women's side? That's interesting. I like I like how Sally serves small waves and and how determined she is. You know, with with small conditions, I feel like she could maybe be a little bit more zippy than than maybe like a Carissa Moore if it's one foot. You know, like small small conditions. Uh, Caroline's really really quick and she's so young. She's got youth on her side to to. You know, on all those early days in Florida, I think I think Caroline's got a really, really good shot. Um, that'll be interesting to follow. But yeah, maybe Caroline. But there's something about Sally. Maybe just because she was always supposed to be an Olympian, even though she's a veteran, I feel like she still will be very inspired to, to work the system out over there. My tip is uh, Taddy. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I like that. I, honestly, I've just been watching her a lot of years on the QS, on the CT, and I just think... There's two things which I really like as an athlete. One is her ability and two is her mental focus and drive. And I just think that those ways might suit her. But mind you, if Chris starts popping airs like she did at Newey, well, they all could be in trouble. Oh, yeah. And I feel like, uh, I don't know, it seems like if it's really, really small and flat, though, yeah, it'll be it'll be tough to, to pass. I don't know. I just can't get past Caroline in small waves. You know, uh, Silvana as well. Silvana's not on tour this year, wow. but she was able to get a spot. So she's um, probably one of the fastest surfers in the world. She has been through a lot of injuries. So you're kind of going maybe the young Silvana would have been that fast speed racer and small surf. I'm just not sure where her where she is physically at this stage because I haven't seen her surf in a few months. You also got to look at the fact that with it being at a venue that is basically uh, standard-wise like a QS, you might find one of these rare nations outside of... We're all looking at these top guys. Well, you might find one of these top QS guys who are just outside the bubble, just all of a sudden go, boom, we're on because it's a, it's a beachy. And this is what we surf day in, day out. Yeah, it's interesting in surfing, right? Like when it's one foot where that opens the field up to compared to the Olympics at, you know, Kira or something, you know, you're just going like, this is one area, one category of our sport. And that I think everywhere around the world can find a one foot wave. So is there someone we haven't even spoke of that is just brilliant in small conditions that will just change everything around against like a world title holder that's in the Olympics. Are you commentating? 
We'll see. We'll see. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. I'll find out pretty soon. Well, mate, it's been a pleasure having you on. You are the voice of our generation. And for me as your friend and, and a guy that I look up to, and I know I'm never going to get to your level, but I'm so stoked to have you in my house and chatting away on all things surfing. And I hope you and your family stay healthy and safe, mate, and all the best. And uh, we'll see you next year in Australia. Ah, uh, Dim, you're an absolute legend. Thanks for always being my friend all these years. This is a treat sitting here uh, being on your podcast, man. It means a lot to me. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jar. You're a legend. The Hennessy Files podcast series, proudly presented by Aloha Surf Man. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to check out next week's episode.